Welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen, Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. This show, like Exposure Ninja, is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Willits from Aweber. Now, Aweber is one of the world's largest email marketing platforms. And Liz has come onto the show to talk about how you can get more of your emails open, read, and clicked. So stick around. She's going to be sharing some insights from the latest survey that Aweber has written, as well as some tasty little morsels about the future of email marketing as well. If you think email's old school, then uh, prepare to be surprised with some of the stuff that's coming down the pipe. So really interesting episode, and uh, I hope you find it really useful. Don't forget, if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can request some free help from Exposure Ninja. All you need to do is go to ExposureNinja.com and click the big button, which says request my free marketing review. What will happen when you do that is one of the team will record you a video showing you how to improve the performance of your website and increase the number of leads and sales that it generates for you completely free of charge there's no catch or anything like that um, and it's totally awesome so go to exposureninja.com to request your free marketing review today without further ado enjoy the show with liz willits from aweber liz welcome back to the show thanks tim thanks for having me it's good to be back Awesome. So, um, I mean, obviously everyone who's listened, listened to the last episode that you're on, but I think there might be four or five people in the world that don't know you and Aweber uh, from the last episode. So for those who haven't listened to it, um, what is Aweber? How are you actually supposed to pronounce it? And what's your role? Aweber. So you did pronounce it correctly. Yes. Uh, and awesome job. And uh, Aweber is an email marketing platform uh, for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, we've helped over a million businesses grow with powerfully simple email marketing tools. And I am uh, managing content at Aweber. I've been there for quite a while and I'm an email, email marketing nerd. I do a lot of speaking. And uh, so this is, this is my, you know, my stuff. I, I love, I love email. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about email marketing strategy and how listeners can send better emails. Um, firstly, I wanted to kind of frame this. The reason you come onto the show is because every year Aweber conducts a study, don't you? And you share out the data and um, about what's going on with small and medium-sized business email marketing. And you've just released your new set of data. I wanted to ask a very big picture question, first of all, like, what trends are you seeing? What's changed over the last year? And what should people be conscious of in 2020? Right. Great question. Uh, so something that has stayed the same is that email marketing is widely used. Um, not everyone's using it, but it's uh, it's pretty widely used. And uh, over half of people feel that their email marketing strategy is effective. But there's a good 30% of people or so uh, that uh, don't feel that way. Um, so that's that's pretty consistent with what we've seen uh, over the years. Um, something that uh, we looked at this year, which was really interesting, was we looked into how many people are sending HTML emails versus plain text emails. And uh, we looked into other design trends, like how many images are they including in their emails? Are they using images in their emails? Uh, and then we also looked at marketing copy. Uh, and ask people, are you writing your own marketing copy? Are you outsourcing it? And like 90% of people are 
uh, writing their own marketing company, what small businesses are, uh, which is pretty pretty cool uh, and also uh, much higher than we expected to see. Mm. Um, no, not many people are outsourcing. Awesome. Okay. So um, you mentioned that HTML emails and I think it would be worth, we were just talking before the show about HTML versus plain text. And I think there's some um, misconceptions about what an HTML email is. So in my head, I'm, I'm thinking of, there's really still two groups of people. There are people who are sending out emails which are, are just writing and they might have links in, they might have an image in their signature or whatever, they might have links to videos and stuff. And then you've got people sending what I call fancy emails, which are like designed and they look a bit like web pages and they look like newsletters and, and that type of stuff. So I think there can be a tendency to think of the text ones as plain text and the fancy ones as HTML. But that's not quite correct, is it? They're usually all HTML. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, most people think anything that's like, like you said, any impl- any email that looks simple is a plain text. But a plain text email, a real true plain text email contains no formatting. Mm-hmm. So no bullets, no bolded text, no hyperlinked text. Um, like you straight up have to put your full link right in the email. Um, and there is no formatting whatsoever. And when you get an, when you get a plain text email like this, it really stands out because uh, it is very straightforward. I would use the word boring. Um, and uh, yeah, you're going to see these really long links just right in the email and uh, no formatting whatsoever. So most people. People are sending HTML emails. Uh, some prefer uh, prefer simple emails, and some prefer uh, heavily or uh, more designed emails. But yeah, uh, that, that's a common misconception. Okay, I want to ask you about the um, simple versus fancy emails a bit later on. But first, I wanted to ask you. I kind of got questions in three areas. So, firstly, getting your emails seen in the first place, then getting them opened, and then getting them clicked. Because I figure that's the kind of process that we need to go through. So, um, one of the things I've noticed from being an email user, not from any of the marketing stuff that we do, but being an email user over the last, well, over the last few years is um, how good Google's promotions tab, the Gmail promotions tab is at filtering promotions. And I feel like less and less of my time is spent filtering through crap. Um, Obviously, great news, genius for users, that promotions tab can be a bit of a nightmare for email marketers if they're getting caught. I actually think is a great thing for marketers um, because it means that you don't have to get caught. But if you're getting caught, then it's a complete nightmare. So um, what have you seen on your email marketing adventures about how to avoid that dreaded promo tab? Yeah. Um, well, first off, one of the things that Gmail, yeah, like you mentioned, is really good at is their, their algorithm is phenomenal. Um, and their algorithm is really smart. And marketers try to come up with like little tricks that we can play uh, to trick the algorithm, uh, which if you think about what you would be doing by tricking the algorithm, you're outsmarting a huge team at Google who created this algorithm and uh, they, they create it to not try to make it trick proof. So there aren't really these simple tricks you can do to get out of the promotions tab um, that are foolproof. 
But one of the things that works that Gmail tells us works is telling your subscribers to drag the email from the promotions tab to the primary tab. And then future emails will be delivered to the primary tab. Gmail tells us that that works. It's not a trick. They actively say that. So that's something you can put in your welcome email. Uh, The first email you send to subscribers, tell them, hey, can you please drag this over into the primary tab? And I know a lot of people who do that. Uh, It's an effective thing to do. Uh, But another thing to consider with the promotions versus the primary tab is if your emails are, are solid, if they're quality emails, people will go to the promotions tab to look for them. And not everyone avoids the promotions tab. Um, so we've seen users going to the promotions tab actively and looking through their emails because there are certain emails they want to see, even if they go to the promotions tab. So one way to get people to view your emails, if they're in the promotions tab, is just to make sure you're sending a high quality value packed email. If it's in the promotions tab, your subscribers are still going to go find it. The other thing is ask people to drag from the promotions to the primary. That's the foolproof way, uh, that Gmail uh, has said is, is the way to get out of the, um, to get out of the promotions mm. tab. Other things you can try, um, high engagement. Uh, so if, if your emails, if certain subscribers engage with them frequently, that's a good way to get out of the promotions tab. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it's not really, it's not necessarily foolproof. The mm. definitely the dragging it over is, is the foolproof way. But I also wouldn't look at the promotions tab as the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it's it's not quite death row, but it's definitely not it's definitely not ideal, is it? What, one of the things that we've found is that if we before we send out a broadcast we'll we'll test it to a bunch of Gmail accounts and then we'll see whether it lands in primary or promo and then if it lands in promo then sometimes it can be as simple as taking out images it can be changing out text so for example um the advice a while back was instead of saying free say no charge well we've actually found that saying no charge increases the likelihood of it going into promo whereas if you replace it with free so i i I think the important thing is if you want to avoid it you, you you can like test can't you and then kind of learn for yourself what I gather is that it's based on this, you know, combination of loads and loads of different things. So the trigger points might be different for different people, but just kind of playing around and testing and, yeah. and seeing what gets you out is quite good. Yeah, you can you can definitely mess around and test with different things. Something to keep in mind about email deliverability is, like you mentioned, very complex, but also how a, how a certain inbox, like how a subscriber who owns a certain inbox, how they've interacted in the past mm. affects how your emails get delivered. So even a testing method like that, um, while you might discover you might discover that certain things work, certain things don't. Keep in mind that uh, the historical subscribers' actions also mm. impact uh, what's happening with that email placement. Um, so yeah, it's not foolproof, but I definitely, I love testing. So A-B testing things, doing tests like you're talking about, really smart to try to figure out what works, what doesn't. Um, let's talk about fancy emails versus, uh, not plain text, because that's the wrong term, but fancy emails versus just words, like normal emails like we would send to a friend. So um, my observation is that a lot of SMEs are using fancy emails because they feel like it um, portrays their brand better or makes them appear bigger or makes them look more professional and things like that. Um, I know that 
for me personally, I haven't seen a fancy email in a long time because they're all in that promotions tab. What the, the, your survey asked people the difference between plain text and HTML, didn't it? What 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 are you feeling about the balance between those fancy emails and and kind of texty emails versus fancy emails? What are people sending out, and is it possible to give a blanket rule for what people should be sending out? Yeah, so most people are sending HTML emails. Uh, only we found that only 16% of businesses send plain text emails alone, um, but. Uh, along with that, we did find that some people are sending a mix of plain text and HTML emails. That's about 26% uh, of people use both interchangeably um, and uh, or for different occasions. And then 49% uh, of people send HTML emails. And uh, the way we positioned that question was, this is what an HTML email is. Uh, it contains any kind of formatting. Now, which one do you send? Right. Um, so we did give people context because it is such a common misconception that um, any fancy looking email, any heavily designed email is HTML, whereas most emails we send are in fact HTML. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then about 8% of people, even though we gave that context where they weren't sure what they're sending. Um, so it's still, it's still, um, a very common misconception, but mm. most people are sending HTML and, uh, most people we found are actually also, um, including imagery in their emails. So we found that 86% of people have images in their emails sometimes or always. Uh, so, and if you have an image in your email, it is an HTML email. So even if it's super simple, if there's one image in it, it's HTML. Um, so that's a huge percentage of people, 14% of people said they're never, they never include images in email. So imagery is super common, but whether that email is a simple looking email or an, uh, an email with like eight different email images and it's heavily designed, you know, we don't, that's up for debate. We didn't ask that. Mm -hmm. But what's, I mean, you've obviously seen a lot of email stuff in, in your time. My feeling or like our position at Exposure Ninja has always been that if you're a small or medium-sized company and you have personality, then you may as well use, you know, you may as well try and build personality through your email and write as if you're writing to an individual and come at it from a personal um, a, a kind of personal place to build as much of a personal relationship as you can and that therefore sending a simple email kind of makes more sense because that's the sort of email that you would get from a friend or a contact which you're kind of used to reading and that you're used to valuing whereas as soon as you go for a fancy thing you're kind of you're letting them know that this is a this is a mass broadcast and you're not writing to an individual what's What's your take on it? Obviously, there are examples of, of both ways being successful. Yeah. So uh, first off, I totally agree with leveraging what you have as a team. So if you're a small business and a medium-sized business, opt like go for your advantages. Go for the advantages that you do have over a large business. And you're right, personality and uh, being personal and, with your audience and being real with your audience is an advantage you have as a small, medium-sized business over the corporations. So yeah, don't try to be a corporation. Don't try to pretend you're a corporation. Um, and like, if you look at e-commerce emails for huge brands, like take uh, DSW or Walmart, um, those things are 
insanely designed. And when I say a, a designed email, I'm not advising that you do that. Um, you know, have this email that's a one huge image. But the other thing I would say is that marketers like myself, uh, like, like your team, like a lot of the experts out there, marketers, we work in a field that is not super visual. So when we're creating content, it's not always helpful to have imagery uh, for the concept we're explaining. But if you take someone like a food blogger, you know, a small business, they're, they're a food blogger. Their industry is extremely visual. If they don't have a beautiful image in their email of the recipe that they're trying to promote to you, their click-through rate is going to be much lower. So you can still have a very personal um, email, but include beautiful imagery. And you need to do that if you're in a highly visual field. So something to keep in mind is marketers often uh, recommend using less visuals, but we also are in a less visual industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it depends on your industry and what you're doing. I definitely don't recommend though the some people when they when they think of uh, highly designed emails, there's very little content in those emails at all, and I think that is a bad is a bad move. So have written content in your emails. Don't just rely on a huge image. Uh, add personality to your emails with written content that adds context to the imagery you're including. But I think imagery and using a more designed email does depend on, you know, what field you're in. Mm. Uh, is it highly visual or not? Um, yeah, so that's my, that's my two cents on that. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about subject lines. Subject line are obviously fairly key to getting read. I know the study didn't specifically look at subject lines, um, this year, but I know you've got some, you've got some opinions from, from looking into this. Um, just so we're clear in your mind, what is the, what is the job of the subject line? What is the subject line there to do? Yeah, so the subject line's purpose is to get the email opened, um, but it is not, I think a common thought is that the subject line is the number one thing that's gonna get your email opened or not, and I disagree with that. Uh, so my view on subject lines is yes, uh, subject lines have a key role in getting your email opened because it tells your subscriber, is this a topic I'm interested in mm. or is it not? And it allows them to quickly decipher that as they're skimming through their hundreds of emails in their inbox. So a good subject line uh, will make them interested and make them more likely to open. But a big factor in what gets your email opened is your historical relationship with that subscriber. So if you've been sending crap emails, they are way less likely to open your email, even if you have the best subject line in the world, mm. even if your subject line is phenomenal. Uh, so your historical relationship with your subscriber has a huge impact on whether they're gonna open that email or not. And if you have a good relationship, then the subject line can be that final trigger uh, that in that moment where they're extremely busy and they don't feel like opening your email, that can be the final trigger that actually gets them to open. It can also get someone who's had a bad relationship with you in the past to open because you have a topic that's extremely interesting to them and extremely relevant to them. And uh, maybe it's super timely, like they've been struggling with like taking it from the marketer's perspective, say we send them an article about email marketing uh, in an email and we mention it in the subject line. If it's a topic, they've been struggling with that day or that week or you know they may open it and then that may enhance our relationship with them but uh yeah subject lines definitely to help you get your emails opened but uh there are other factors that go into getting an email opened that's such a good point i guess 
as soon as you said that, I was like, if my wife sends me an email, I'm opening it. It doesn't, she doesn't have to try and catch my eye with a great subject line or like a hook or anything like that. It's, that's the thing that comes first, isn't it? Your prior relationship with that person and the value that you've established. Um, that's, that's such a good point. I think the tendency can be, oh, you know, click-through rate's low, therefore the subject lines are bad or deliverability's bad when actually you've just been pummeling them with shit for the last three years and they just, they're just so bored and they're so fed up with you. What do you think about, like, we sent out some pretty wacky emails. We sent out an email yesterday with the, the subject line, just the word sick. And um, obviously it's designed to, to trigger curiosity and play on the fact that people have a prior relationship with us versus being very descriptive about what the topic in the email is. Now I could see it going either way. I could see it being like, oh, that's interesting. And then them clicking and then being like, oh, actually this topic isn't boring. This is topic isn't interesting to me. It's boring to me. And then I've kind of damaged that relationship by being a bit clickbaity. Um, or the other hand, if I'd have told them the subject, they might not have necessarily been interested, but if I can get them to read it, then I might get a chance at getting their attention. Um, I know it's off topic of the email study. I'm just, I, I can't resist having you on the show. I have to ask you what you think about kind of clickbaity type subject lines. Yeah, so clickbaity type subject lines will definitely increase open rates. And you're right. So there are some people who would never have opened that email if you hadn't used the clickbaity subject line. And then they open it and they're like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted to hear. And this is the content I needed to see or, you know, they, they purchase or whatever your call to action is in the email. Um, but yeah, you, ha you risk that disappointment. So someone opening the email because it's clickbaity and then being like, oh, I hate this. And then again, that impacts your relationship with the subscriber. Mm. So my mentality um, is to be playful and to, to drive curiosity, but by, to drive curiosity by being more descriptive. So you can make someone curious and still be descriptive about the topic. Like, let's say you're talking about open rates. Um, you could have a subject line, like, ever wondered what the five biggest factors are to get your to get your open rates up? And that people, people makes people curious, but it's still descriptive, they know what the topic is. Mm. Um, so I, my personal advice is to be more descriptive and to drive curiosity at the same time. Curiosity is huge. But a lot of people use uh, use subject lines that are um, totally curiosity, not descriptive, and it's effective for them. I think it does depend on your audience. In every email that I send, I include a little what we call a sentiment widget at the bottom of the email. And uh, it's a smiley face and it's a sad face, and the user can click on either one. And when they click on one, then they're taken to a survey where they can explain more why they feel a certain way about this email. So mm. it says, how do you feel about this email? Smiley face, sad face. And I get a ton of insights from people um, via that. So if the subject line pissed them off, uh, they can click on the sentiment widget and let us know that it pissed them off. And we have used, I've used clickbaity subject lines in the past and had subscribers tell me like, hey, you're, you know, you're an email marketing company, you're an email marketing expert. Like, why are you using clickbaity subject lines? Mm. And um, so, you know, I use user feedback to make those determinations. Uh, so it's not just me you know, saying like, 
hey, uh, I'll use clickbaity because it gets my open rates up, mm. uh, or I'll use more descriptive because it gets my open rates up. Uh, so instead of assuming, I would definitely recommend asking your audience because some audiences love clickbaity, like uh, curiosity driving subject lines. And if that is your brand tone and you do that consistently, then they expect it. It's not mm. this uh, random surprise that annoys them. Love it, love it. Is that sentiment widget, is that something that people can get through Aweber? Yeah, yeah, we actually have a template with the sentiment widget in it. Um, so it gives that smiley face, sad face option. Um, yeah, so you can definitely get that via Aweber. Love that, love that. Um, next thing I want to ask you about is how we write our emails. So a pet peeve of mine is when I'm addressed as part of a group, you know, someone will say, we've had loads of questions or thank you for all your questions about this new product that we're launching or something like that. And I think, I didn't have any questions. And it's like I'm being addressed as an, uh, an audience member in a, at a big festival or something. But obviously the difference when you're at a festival is you can see the other audience members when you're getting an email, then it's, it's just you on the toilet or whatever. So, um, this kind of addressing people as a collective, I noticed there was a quote from Anne Handley from Marketing Profs in your report, which said, uh, write to one person, not a segment or persona. Um, I wondered if you could talk a, a little bit about that just to kind of clarify what she meant there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first off, Anne, uh, she has an awesome new newsletter called Total Anarchy. So if you're interested in her work, definitely check out that newsletter. It's phenomenal if you're a marketer, if you're a writer, if you do email marketing, great newsletter. Um, but yeah, what Anne, one of the things that Anne talks about consistently in her content is this idea of writing to one person. And uh, this, this will get rid of the feeling that you're being being talked to as a collective. So instead of saying, instead of using I or we language, you're using you language. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that can help with making that personal feel. But what Anne actually recommends is imagine the person you're writing to. Pick a person that you know, write the email to them, and that'll make your language in the email much more personal. So if you're writing to your wife or you're writing to your best friend, uh, if you're imagining that as you're drafting an email, it's gonna really impact how you write that email. It's gonna get rid of a lot of the we and the I and the corporate speak language. And that's something that Anne uh, consistently recommends. And she talks about a newsletter uh, and drop the news, focus on the letter part of it, uh, because it is really just a letter to one subscriber. And if you're visualizing that as you're writing, it's gonna really help you personalize that email. Another thing that helps with personalization though is segmentation. Uh, like you said, if you're if you're not segmenting, you're gonna get this email that's like, hey, thanks for answering this question. And you're like, I didn't answer that question. Uh, so proper segmentation will avoid issues like that. A simple example, if you have a webinar, you can talk differently to people who attended the webinar versus people who registered but didn't attend. Um, so just segmenting in simple ways can make your language much more effective. But yeah, write to one person, uh, not the collective thousands of subscribers. It's not easy to do, is it? I, we did a, an exercise recently in a mastermind where we had people write an, a, an example email to their list and everyone went into this like email marketing tone of voice, which sounded really weird and broadcasty rather than just colloquial and friendly and, and personal. We seem to have this switch in our heads a little bit like 
when well some people on the podcast they'll just turn into a podcast actor all of a sudden there seems to be something in our heads which which switches it must be quite difficult for people to turn off yeah i think so and imagining that one person that you're writing to definitely helps Mm. me another barrier that marketers face though is um their own company, because we often, there's there's an, a mindset within larger companies and within a lot of companies that there's there's a way you speak an email mm. and it's very professional and it's very, you know, appropriate. And uh, this is this is the way it is. And uh, it's boring. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, a, something we have to overcome as marketers because you might write a very personal email and then uh, whoever's reviewing it is like, nah, this is not on on tone. This is mm-hmm. not our, our brand tone. Uh, and then you have to balance that with, okay, personal still has to be on tone. So a personal, mm-hmm. more human email still has to match your brand tone. So how do you do that? Because uh, you can't all of a sudden be using words that you would were, use in your personal conversations that your brand would not use. Mm. So you have to balance those two things. Um, but remembering that your subscribers are humans and that they're reading this from their computer and this is what they're like and this is how they feel, that can help you write more personal, more human content to them that is less jargon-filled and less corporate Amazing. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good. Um, that's a really good suggestion and amazing observation. Um, where do you think email marketing is going? It still feels slightly old school, doesn't it? Like we're still we're still getting emails just like like every other thing that we did when we started getting emails is pretty much turned into something else now, whereas email is is still here and we all still check our emails this whole the whole time. Do you see it changing? Do you see it being replaced by messages or anything like this? Like, where's it going? Right. Yeah. So a lot of social media uh, platforms will tell you that email's dying or a lot of people will say things like email's dying. But email <laughs> over the last like 20, 25 years has remained an extremely effective tool mm. for marketers and for consumers. Uh, and social media conversion rates are like nothing compared to what email conversion rates are. And I've seen that personally. If I want people to take an action, I send an email. Mm. I don't go post on social uh, because mm. if you want them to take an action, like register for your webinar, uh, read your blog post, email is insanely effective for that. But uh, while email has been around for you know 20 plus years, innovation is still happening all the time. Like we mentioned some innovation, we might not like the innovation, but we mentioned some innovation earlier, which was the promotions tab. Uh, that is email innovation, uh, an algorithm helping you filter things. Uh, but the latest innovation, which I'm really excited about, is called AMP for email. <clears throat> uh, and AMP for email is making totally changing what emails could be. It's it's new, um, it's still being adopted, but it's making emails more, it's making them interactive and dynamic. Uh, so I think the future that we could see with AMP for email is actually being able to place an order right within an email. So you hit like buy and it uh, makes a transaction for you. And another thing we can see is emails that update in real time. One of the frustrations we have as, as email marketers is you send an email, if there's something, if it, it when it goes out, that is the way it is. It's mm-hmm. a static document. Um, but what AMP for email does is 
it allows your emails to be dynamic, which means that they can change in real time in the inbox. Uh, so something, an example of that in action could be uh, like the email updating to reflect webinar registrants or the number of people who downloaded your podcast episode or the number of people who placed an order or uh, a tweet feed uh, with real-time tweets coming into the email. Uh, so just uh, AMP for email is so cool because it's going to turn emails into more like a website, which is great for marketers because it removes friction. Hmm. So instead of this, this, this flow of someone gets our email, they open the email, they go to our website, then they go here, then they go there, then they go there, then they end up at a checkout page. Instead, uh, they can purchase directly from an email. And so by removing friction, you increase the likelihood of conversion happening and people taking action. Uh, so AMP for email is relatively new, but expect to see more and more of dynamic and interactive emails as it becomes more widely developed or widely implemented. That sounds awesome. What sort of timescale are we talking here? Is this like something we'll be doing next year or is this five years, 10 years down the line? It's happening now. Um, so we send, um, we send every Thursday, we send a newsletter called Forward Thinking and we include AMP for email elements in that email every week. So you wanna get an example of, of this in action you can subscribe to forward thinking. There are some larger brands who are also using AMP for email. And when you see it, you know, you'll know what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but, and you can actually use AMP for, anyone can use AMP for email now, as long as your email marketing platform supports it. Uh, and Aweber does. Uh, so you can do it with Aweber, you can experiment that way. But what we do in our forward thinking newsletter right now are we have interactive surveys. So if someone, uh, we'll have a survey question, and depending on what they, people can actually click on what they think they're, or it's actually like a quiz. It'll be like an email marketing quiz. Um, so maybe it's something like um, true or false, should you buy email lists? And uh, someone can click on true or false in the email. Depending on what they click on, they'll see, they'll instantly, the email will update instantly to show them how many other people clicked on that same response. And it'll also give them the correct answer. It'll say wrong, like here's the correct answer, or correct, this is why that's the correct answer. Uh, and another AMP element we have in the email is a survey they can fill out right inside the email. So we let people ask us anything about email marketing. So any email questions, they can just type in their question directly into the email. They don't need to go to a survey uh, and then do it there. And then our sentiment widget is also interactive. So if you click on the smiley face or the sad face in the uh, sentiment widget, a form will pop up that allows you to say, hey, like, why do you feel that way? Uh, so we've we've started implementing it in forward thinking. Anyone can really start doing it now. It's it's uh, it exists. Awesome. Well, that's a perfect segue. I was going to my final question was going to be, is there anyone that you'd suggest uh, listeners sign up to to see good email in practice? It sounds like the Aweber forward thinking email would definitely be one that you'd suggest. Yeah, yeah, definitely check out Forward Thinking. Uh, check out Ann Hanley's Total Anarchy. I mentioned that one. Uh, Brian Dean of Backlinko is doing some really cool stuff. And um, he, he, he provides a lot of SEO information, but also you can get a cool example of someone innovating with email marketing strategy just by subscribing to his newsletter. Because he does basically, um, you know, you think about SEO keywords, 
his subject lines are basically the SEO keyword that you would use for the blog post he's promoting. Mm. So if he's talking about, um, you know, uh, backlinks, his subject line is backlinks. Uh, and it's the shorter subject line. It's descriptive yet not. Mm. Uh, so very interesting uh, newsletter to follow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Liz. Um, finally, for those who uh, who don't already subscribe to Aweber, where can they uh, where can they find you and give you a try and try out all this new AMP for email stuff? Yeah. So if you go to aweber.com, you can get a 30 day free trial of Aweber right there. You can follow us on Twitter at Aweber uh, and on Facebook as well. But yeah, check out that 30 day free trial. If you'd like to test out AMP for email or any of the other really cool stuff we're doing with email over at Aweber. Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. And uh, see you next year. Yes. Thanks, Tim. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Liz from Aweber. If you enjoy this podcast, whether you're watching it on YouTube or whether you're listening to it on audio through iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or any of the various podcast places, then I would really, really appreciate a comment or a review. So if you're watching it on YouTube, feel free to drop us a comment and let you know, let us know that you're enjoying it. If you're listening to it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever, we ninjas really, really appreciate the reviews. So it'd be great if you could leave us one. Until next week, see you soon.